I just told him you just moved to Dandenong Springvale district mm. since then you're very busy all the, the local people are keeping yeah, busy. Oh, getting in those people there. When you were in Giving yeah. Bunha. Oh, I mean, oh. There's actually 150 nationalities there and they're having a lot of issues at the moment with the people from Africa, the Sudanese people. Joe's just saying that, um, as you probably all have experienced when you're living in the world and you have duties and work you have to do and you have to be involved with society, um, you can see society isn't always perfectly peaceful, harmonious. Um, in the way the Buddha described the source of our problems when we do have problems amongst people it always comes back to individuals their own hearts that are still um, misunderstand truth and they're still caught into different unskillful habits of greed, anger and delusion and as long as these unskillful habits come up with mental states then people are going to act accordingly they speak and act accordingly and then you get um, different problems between people misunderstandings or people acting in incorrect ways, selfish ways, uh, aggressive ways, all the different things, problems we have in life. So we have various ways of dealing with this. We have on the outside, we have uh, what the monks call vinaya, which is, means, means you could say your external conduct, a code of conduct. Um, in the world we have the laws and the regulations of the land and the aim of this is to help people give them um, a standard for behaviour that is, is going to lead to a peaceful harmonious society and when people don't follow the laws, the regulations or if it's in the case of monks denied then you always get problems don't you when, you, when people follow their own opinions, views um, or their own anger, their own greed, their own delusions. Um, you get you get the problems that we, we face in the world coming up. So it's important when we do go out and work in society to understand that fact that everyone still does have their own greed, hatred and, and delusion in their minds and that's something we have to accept and work with. And the skillful way to work with that is one, understand everyone is, is in that position and two, to have an attitude of compassion, kindness and compassion, which doesn't mean to say one uh, encourages people to act in ways that when they're acting with greed or anger, say, but one knows to oneself well, that's, that's how people are, so that one doesn't take it personally and create suffering when one encounters that, people acting in those ways. And if one has that attitude of kindness and compassion, then um, one can deal with the problems of day-to-day -day living in the world, work and the problems of society in a way that one isn't personally going to create suffering out of it. Yeah. And this is the, the, say the way the Buddhist, Buddhist teachings help us to understand how to live in the world in a harmonious way, in a peaceful way. So if, we, if our, our son is ordained in the Buddhist religion, then very lucky because that gives us a sense of almost like being related to uh, the Buddhist teachings in a very close way and gives us um, you know, very, a very strong connection with the teachings and of course the teachings are something that are helping human beings to understand their, their, the way to live in the world peacefully and be at, at peace within themselves and to find a way to understand the true nature of our existence 
So the teaching is something encouraging us to do something very good, helping us to achieve something good. So if we have um, a member of our family ordained in the robes, that's very fortunate for us. And they can help to um, give us more understanding of these Buddhist teachings um, because they are something that are useful for everyone. All of us do have to face with different um, conditions in life we might call stress or suffering and any teachings and ways that help us to understand where that's coming from uh, can only be of benefit. So, um, the Buddhist teachings always teach us to encourage us to look inwardly even though we can say there are problems in society and people are acting in different ways, often in unskillful ways, harming each other, being selfish and doing different things. We have to look back again and see that the root cause of these problems are always in in the hearts of each one of us. We all have the same uh, tendency, some more than others. We all can get caught into greed, anger, delusion in different ways. So when we start to look like this, we see that the way to deal with that, these different unwholesome tendencies that can come up in the mind, is always to bring up awareness, what we call mindfulness. The more we have mindful awareness of our own hearts, our own minds, and the different intentions that are coming up, we can see when we do give in to our greed or selfishness, or to our anger, to our worry, all the different kinds of suffering and confusion that can come up, when we give in to that and follow it, it just leads us to to suffering and unhappiness. But when we establish awareness, we can see that happening, then we can have enough awareness to say, oh, I don't want to keep following these ways of thinking, ways of speaking, ways of acting. They're just creating suffering for me. So with awareness we get restraint and we get the ability to see the, the harm or the suffering that comes from unskillful thinking and then say, oh, I'm going to let this go, give this up. And this is very much the heart of Buddhist practice, is learning how to let go of the un skillful and wholesome tendencies of mind which lead us to suffer. He's just uh, asking Kunroi about his arranging a papa, uh, a bit like a fundraising for the monastery uh, in another week or so's time. And Tanajan is saying that this is something very good when you, not only yourself, but you're encouraging other people to come together to make offerings and to practice charity, generosity. Um, one individually when one does that obviously gets a lot of happiness and you're opening up an avenue for many other people to get a lot of happiness and do something very positive um, to support something that's good for the community as a whole. Um, the more we try to incorporate these kind of things, the different acts of generosity and kindness in our life, uh, living, learning to live in a moral way, trying to let go of our unwholesome uh, unskillful tendencies. Uh, you know, the result is only beneficial for us. We feel more happy and beneficial for society as a whole. Um, you can think about it. A large group of people come together to make offerings, to come together in a peaceful way, in a, a harmonious way, listen to Dhamma teaching to understand more about the, the spiritual practice. Can only bring benefit to all of them and then all the other people that they meet in their daily lives, in their workplace, in their families will also naturally benefit the more that each individual benefits and it spreads out to all the others. And you can see, you know, if you say, well, what can I do for society to help society be a more peaceful, more harmonious place, a better place? Well, things like this are very, very practical 
very effective ways of getting people to do good and see very clearly for themselves the results of the good they're doing, the happiness they experience. Um, it's very tangible, they know, oh, this is something very good. And uh, so it's very praiseworthy. And especially at this time on Saturday, we celebrate what we call Maga Puja, this day in the Buddhist calendar uh, where all the monks came together without. Um, historically, the, the, the legend is that there was no invitation given. They all came together, just spontaneously came together, and at the Buddha's, the monastery the Buddha was living in, all the monks from around came, there's over a thousand monks came, and he gave a very famous teaching that the heart of the Buddhist teaching is to try to give up all our unwholesome, unskillful tendencies, to develop the good ones, and to purify our minds that way. And so it's a very auspicious occasion, a very good time to have a fundraising, bringing people together in the monastery to, to practice like this. Yes, uh, Kanakan was saying about wholesome and unwholesome thing in the mind. Actually, I wasn't doing that. I was more like looking at the Tunisia in my mind when it arrives, you know, and then how it affect me all these. That, that, that's what I'm doing, you know, that uh, previously, I remember when Longfolia was here and I asked him why I was so angry, you know, that about other people's Kanesha, you know. So, and then later on, you know, I keep on looking, you know, because I find that really the problem lies with me because I couldn't get along with people. It's, at first I thought it's people's problem, maybe it's mine, Teresa. So as I look even more, and I think I remember asking, I let you know about, you can get really overwhelming with this. But I realized that, you know, the more you look at, no matter how hard it is, then when you look outside other people's Teresa, Instead of getting angry, you know, you start to have compassion because you, you, you can empathize with the person, you can feel you know, how the person is suffering. So, so I was thinking, you know, that I'm not actually looking at the whole state of mind or unwholesome, just looking at the police itself. Is it a, a too big a challenge, you know, sometimes I can be overpowered. What you describe is not wrong. Um, what you might do is you're practicing mindfulness and you're being mindful of your mind, what's arising, if it's Kalesa, that's arising, you've identified that, then it, you can't just stop there, you have to have also the mindfulness, mindfulness that says, I'm not going to carry on thinking these thoughts, or I'm not going to speak with this mood, this intention, I'm not going to act on this intention because you see it's Kalesa. And that's perfectly alright to practice like that, but the problem when you're just looking at the mind, focusing on the mind, you'll see very quickly is often the mind is so fast, it almost seems there's not much we can do if suddenly we're in a mood and it's, if it's a kilesa, you know, it's some kind of unwholesome mood, anger, greed, and it will be feeding suffering, causing suffering. So at those times you might only be able to know, well I have some mindfulness, I know I'm angry, but you can't let go of the anger yet, so you might just establish mindfulness and see how long this anger is going to last. If you have pure, strong mindfulness, 
you can just say, oh, this, this anger is not me and it's, it's not self and it's impermanent because it's a condition that arises, passing away. But if you can really have enough mindfulness to see its impermanence, it will drop away instantly. But if there's only half mindfulness, what you have to do is just kind of follow it for a while and you know, oh, I'm angry now. You may try and at least not to speak or act on it. But in the mind, all you can do is wait until it passes and then you notice it's gone now. At that moment, you can prove to yourself, oh, anger is impermanent, it's not self, because it's gone. But at the time, you might not be able to do much because your mindfulness isn't strong. So, you necessarily then will see that you do also have to find ways to practice just to improve your mindfulness so that it's quicker to catch moods. So that's why we also practice, say, Anapanasati and different meditation objects and techniques to train just in mindfulness, the ability to be aware of the present moment and sustain that with concentration so that when we improve our mindfulness, then when we're practicing watching the mind in the way you described, we won't just get caught into the mood and find that our oh, mindfulness isn't strong enough to let this go, we'll have strong mindfulness. So as soon as the place arises, we know, oh, this is Kilesa, it's impermanent, and by seeing Achillesa and seeing and knowing it's impermanent, you'll be able to let go of it straight away. And this is why you have to have both Samatha and Vipassana together. You can't just have the Vipassana because generally your Samatha won't be strong enough, your mindfulness won't be strong enough. So your Samatha supports your Vipassana and you have to go back and do Samatha and then Vipassana and back and forth like that. So um, another question is that you know, usually we get caught up in the Kalisa before we realize it. But is there something that it can uh, remind us that the Kalisa is coming? Some physical sensation or something that... Of course the important thing is to keep training in mindfulness and using meditation to train your mindfulness so that when your mind is firm, concentrated, then the slightest movement, the slightest kind of flicker that is leading to a kilesa arising, you'll see that. And at that point you can say, oh, this is impermanence, because you know it, you've contemplated it before, you know this is impermanence, so as it's arising, when you see it's impermanent, it will just drop away. So this is why we have to practice mindfulness, sitting, walking, so that it's ready. It's ready right there for when the conditions are, are such that the collations start to arise, we can catch them straight away and not fall into them. And if you're noticing, well, I keep falling into collations, suddenly I'm angry, I'm, I've got greed, I'm selfish, but it's a sign you really need to improve your mindfulness and you, you just have to keep working at it. Well, my practice is just like, you know, that wisdom develops concentration. So usually I begin my meditation with contemplation of the mind, the Kalisa. Then after that, you know that sometimes there are too much, it's just let go everything and you just do the, uh, what the mindfulness of the breathing. So it should be alright. But a lot of time here, here, uh, we're just talking about that the contemplation of the body and I hardly do that at all, about 32 parts or whatever doesn't matter, just work with what you're doing currently and become good at it. Become skilled in observing clays that are rising, letting go of them, seeing their impermanent, letting go of them. That's fine, just keep working with that. So the four foundation of mindfulness doesn't mean that you have to do every one of the foundation or as, as it arises. Some mm-hmm. could be body, some could be... All the different foundations of 
mindfulness are closely related and the more you develop any aspect of that, the practice, any aspect of mindfulness, well it will help with all four. Um, if you're using the breath as a meditation object, so you do as you said, you, you contemplate first to try and clear the mind of places and then you go to the breath. Well the breath is mindfulness of the body, it's one part of the body. Mm-hmm. So that's the first foundation of mindfulness. And you keep practicing, you know, you'll become more aware of Waitana and have the strength of mindfulness to be aware of Waitana. You're already contemplating the mind and the Dhammas, that will come as well. You'll find that as you become more skilled in whatever aspect that you're doing, the other aspects of mindfulness, the foundations of mindfulness will develop as well. You can leave that for the moment. Just do what you find works for you and you're currently doing, you think it seems good and it's making you peaceful and just work with that. Another thing is, uh, I don't know if anybody wants to ask questions, is it alright? <laughs> ask while you're asking. <laughs> yeah, you know the three characteristics of the impermanence not selling suffering. Mm-hmm. Now every time I hear you know, that the teacher is talking about impermanence not selling or you just see the impermanence or just non-self or you have to see three together all the time. They're so interrelated that you see one, you'll see the other two. If you see something that is impermanent, then you'll see that it's unsatisfactory too, but because it changes, it doesn't last. That means it's unsatisfactory. You'll see that it's not self, but what doesn't last, you can't say is any kind of a permanent self. So any aspect of those three that you see, you'll see the other two aspects when, you know, they'll be there, right there, and you, you won't have to sort of think, oh, well, where does Dukkha fit into this, or where does Anatta fit into this, you'll see them together. But usually you hear worldly people, I mean, like non-bodies, you know, they, they can see the impermanence, everybody can see, but they still have a level view in there. That's okay, whoever it is. Just if Anicca is the most obvious characteristic, then people can contemplate this. When they've really penetrated this, have some insight, then the other two characteristics will also become obvious. Amy, you have any question? Okay. Um, but, um, the pain in me uh, not well. Still not sleeping? Not sleeping? Yeah. Because you have pain every day now, the best thing is for you to be mindful of the pain. Just know the pain, or now I have pain. Be mindful, see the pain, know the pain, and do that every day. And the more you see the pain, the more you understand this body, suffering. It just brings us suffering. When you really see that, the mind will let go of the body, like become outside the body, doesn't like, doesn't want the body anymore. The mind might become peaceful then when really sees this body is painful, it's suffering, with mindfulness, you know it's painful, it's suffering, the mind will then, we say like, go out of the body almost, you could say like that, detach, separate from the body. You must keep, keep 
watching, looking at the pain? Yeah, obviously doing the meditation, but it's very hard to concentrate. I know the pain here. And he says, look at the pain. Yeah. When you meditate, yeah, I know. look yeah. at the pain. But it's very hard to do the breath. Is there something broad here? If you cannot follow the breath, never mind. You put all your attention at the painful feeling here. You know, you just sit and you observe the feeling. Send your your mind around the feeling around here. Good enough. Do you know Phu Thao San in China? ผู้ท้าวสันผู้ท้าวสันวันที่เว้นอีสปิชเชนอีสเนี่ยวิวิชอยด์เดอะออดไอ้ไอ้สวัสดิ์ไอ้ไอ้ไอ้ไอ้
and so just lead us in a sort of lead us in a circle, and we don't really resolve anything, but we have doubt of what's the right way to do things. So that's one thing. There's no doubt, or it's like this. It doesn't doesn't lead to anything good, really. It tends to lead us around in circles. Um, so again, is is clarifying that really there's you might say there's two ways to listen to the Dharma. The first is as you were describing the other night is. You listen, and if in the listening you straight away it brings you a sense of letting go, and it brings you a, to a sense of peace, calm, peaceful awareness where you're letting go, then that's good, that's fine. The other way you might say is a sort of there's two stages: is that you listen to the Dharma and then you contemplate it, thinking through, and that stimulates your letting go because you've been contemplating, thinking through, and then you let go. But either way, your aim is just to let go of your, your own attachments, your own uh, defilement. So, either way is okay. Because I was thinking I'm still in the practicing stage, I still have a lot to learn. Maybe that was the wrong way. That I need to listen, you know, since he's here and now I need to give a few talks and if I don't want to miss anything. Yes, that's very good. Um, as you say, uh, you're new to the practice, he's here, but rarely it's difficult for him to come, so it's fine you listen to him, take that chance, and then take away the dumb you've heard, really, really sincerely remember it and then contemplate it, and it should spur you on and help you in your practice and you'll be able to let go later, that's, that's probably the best way, he says. So the other night, when I listen like that, you know, can't really remember things, so what happened? Is it forgotten or...? Both, both ways are correct. If that first night you just just listening, you were letting go and you couldn't actually remember the words after the talk, but you had reached a state where you're just letting go and you're, you're, you're content to just be letting go like that, and that's fine, and you're aiming for that. Or if you were to listen, contemplate, remember the words, contemplate them, and then get let go, that would also be alright. Both, both ways are okay. I remember, and I went on for him, was holding a one-day retreat in the green retreat, remember? And he gives us a good talk in the, the, the night, when the end of the retreat. I mean, I gave a good talk, but I don't know what he was talking, honestly. <laughs> I was also listening like that. But I think at the end of it, you know, that I, I feel my tears going to come out. I thought he was saying something revealing. I don't know what he said. You know, my hair was standing. I feel like I want to go up and bow to him and all that. I don't know what he said. Then after that, I restrained myself. I finished. Then I just feel happy. I thought, that was a good talk. But when people ask me, what did he say? I, I can't. It's so embarrassing, you know. You don't know how to answer. But you know it's a good talk. Even up to now, I still don't know why you're talking. So I, I don't know. This is how I'm thinking about that. <laughs> He says what you described about uh, the little volume is quite correct. Again, if you listen to a talk, you know it's good, and you have pity arise, joy, peace arise, and the hair stands on it and all this. Um, that's, that's enough. You don't really need to ask for anything more. If anyone asks you what did he say, you don't have to think, oh, I can't remember a word he said. You just know he taught how to become peaceful, and I became peaceful, and that's all you need to tell them. And if that's happening other times, then it's fine. For you, that will be fine. The only, you might say, the only other thing to add is that if you did want to teach others or help others, then you might have to train yourself to go back and listen to talks so you can remember, then you can explain to others.
But if you yourself are getting joy and peace listening and you still can't remember, but you know it's good, that's good enough. Margaret, no question? You have to remember the aim of chanting is to make your mind peaceful, concentrated and calm. So if you chant Amitofo and you find you're becoming very peaceful, concentrated, Amitofo, good. If you chant Om Mani Padmi Hom or Kuan Im, some chant for Kuan Im, and you feel peaceful and calm, good. It's good enough. If you, you decide for you which you feel is a good chant and you do it, the important thing is to be concentrated on the chant, keep being aware, chant, 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 and, and not let your mind wander away. But you can choose. <laughs>